All right, with that all being said, we're going to jump into uh, our time. We're in the series called Generous, uh, Dangerous Generosity, and we're talking about being intellectually generous. And uh, Jeff preached this incredible sermon, like I said, about, um, you know, needing God's Word and how to, using God's Word to shape our understanding for our life and our doctrine and our faith and our belief. Jesus says this in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 46. It says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood came, the torrent struck the house, but it could not shake it because it was built well. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And the moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its, um, and its destruction excuse me, was complete. Well, this morning we're going to unpack, I think, the most dangerous question that we can address in a church, and it's simply this. How do we know what to put into practice? Jesus very clearly says, if you put my words into practice, you're going to be like a man, build a house on on rock, and the winds and storms are going to come, and you're going to be just fine. But the real question, the the question that has challenged the church forever, the, the, the question that's divided the church forever, the question that has made the church an anathema to all of culture forever, is simply this. What do we put into practice? Of all the things that Jesus says, what do we put into practice? And unfortunately, he says a lot of good things, um, but he's not really specific, not really specific about things that I think are relative and important to us. And so this morning, we're going to go through four whole chapters of Scripture. How's that for biting off more than I could chew? Super great. So we're going to go through Romans 12, 13, 14, and 15. Maybe that's five chapters. I don't know. It's a lot. So if you have a Bible, pull it out, Romans chapter 4, I mean chapter 12. And uh, we're just going to look at one more generic, nice statement before we hop into everything. Paul says something similar in Romans chapter 12. He says this, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, and cling to what is good. So how do we know what to put into practice? Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, and cling to what is good. Now, before we hop into the sermon sermon, we just need to understand there's danger ahead. Okay? Every single time the church tries to clarify what we must do to love, right? What we must hate, what we must cling to. Every time the church clarifies those things, we get in big trouble, right? And Marin Covenant Church, which I love, I love our church so much, but we have people from every end of every spectrum, politically, theologically, socioeconomically. We all approach this Christian life from so many different angles. And so to sit here at church and say, what do we put into practice is incredibly dangerous. For me as the pastor to stand up here and say, this is what it looks like to put these words into practice, to clarify what is evil and what is good and what we are to do about that is incredibly dangerous. But Art and Jeff aren't here, and so I'm going to get after it. And um, <laughs> so, so why not, right? So let me do this. So let me pray for us. Let me pray for our time, and, uh, and we'll kind of meander our way through Romans. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, I thank you for my friends in this room. I thank you for the gift and privilege it is to be called and invited into your family and for the challenging time that we live in, for the unique context in which we live in, for the unique church in which we love you and serve you. We want to be people, though, who are focused on you, who make space for you, who allow you to mold and shape us. And so this morning, God, as we look at, I think, an incredibly difficult topic and everyone's going to feel uncomfortable at some point, and we're all going to be mad at me at some point. 
I pray, God, that we would be patient and gracious and open to hear from you, God, because at the end of the day, it's not about me and it's not about the person next to me, but it's about us, the individual, you and me, and what you have for us. So speak to us this morning, and we pray that you be honored and glorified in all of this. Amen and amen. Okay, so if you want to know what to put into practice, it used to be really easy. We used to, and I don't know if this is even true, but because of it's the nostalgia of it, I'm going to pretend it's true. There was a time, right, when we lived in this beautiful, amazing Judeo-Christian context. Leave it to Beaver. Good people everywhere. It was all black and white and clean, and there was no litter. And uh, every child started their day praying in school to receive Jesus, right, and to love him all day. I don't even know because they didn't pray in school when I was a kid, but that was the deal, right? We imagine this idea of what are we to put into practice. And if you're a Christian, you want to know what do you put into practice? Well, basically, you had to follow the laws of the land and not cuss so much. That's how you knew if you were a good Christian. And so we're going to start right here in Romans 13. It says this. How do we know what to put into practice? Romans 13, verse 1. Let, us, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established, the authorities that which have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Um, for rulers hold no terror for those who do what is right. Right? So if we think about it, what do we do? We follow the laws of the land. The law says don't murder. Okay, don't murder. The law says don't steal. Okay, don't steal. The law says don't speed. Okay, that one's a little fudgy, right? And you know where you stand on this because when you drive, um, if you see a cop, you know, and, and you freak out, oh man, you're a lawbreaker, right? And you want to be a good Christian? Follow the law's land. Me, I bought a Prius and so I don't even care about the speed limit. I'm all about trying to maximize my fuel efficiency and not even for like some green reason just because I'm cheap. But the deal is, right, but so when I see a cop, I go, hey, what's up, cop? I'm going five miles below the speed limit, not accelerating. And everyone's honking at me. Because the deal is, right, I follow the laws of land. I am not scared of the authorities, right? You got all these other kids that are scared. They're freaked out of the authorities because they're messing up all the time. But me, I drive so slowly, no one cares. So you want to know what to put in practice? Well, the laws of the land, they say stuff. Whatever the law says to do, you do. Now, we all think this, but none of us would say it out loud. But I love our students because they do say, they say, well, what about when the law contradicts? Right? When the law of the land contradicts, what if we're compelled to do something awful? And we think around, like, that's never going to happen. But the truth is that it has happened. Throughout all of human history, the governing bodies have done huge injustices. And recently, I mean, not that recently, but like in our least memory, uh, the Nazis, did that, that was exactly what they did. Right? They compelled people, the laws of the land, to do awful things. And if you were a good church person, um, and it didn't impact you. I mean, if you were Jewish or if you were a gypsy or you had some deformity, I mean, you were in big trouble. But if you were a good church person, it didn't bother you at all because you followed the laws of the land. And it was awful, and I think one of the awful histories of, our, of the church is during this time, the, Ger the German Lutherans and German Catholic Church kind of like got in bed with, with Hitler and said, okay, you know, we'll be good upstanding citizens for you and turned a blind eye to the most horrific chapter of almost all of human history. But there's this pastor, this young pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's my hero. This guy's a stud, right? He's like, Jesus tells me to love. Jesus tells me to forgive. Um, but this is really evil. And to just pray against evil, to just talk about against evil, I'm, we have to act. And here's Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this pastor who came up with this assassination plan to kill Hitler, to go against Hitler because the laws of the land were so awful. 
and because he felt like God put on his heart and his conscience to go and did it, he went and tried to do it. And unfortunately, he got caught and he got executed. Right? But the law of the land said one thing, and he went against it. Because the law of the land isn't just the only thing. The Bible doesn't say, just do the law of the land. That's it. It goes on and says in verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So we don't just do the law of the land. That's how we do what Jesus says. But we also have this higher calling that we, that we love, right? That love is the fulfillment of the law. And so if, if, the, if the law of the land is compelling you to do violence against somebody else, to do injustice against somebody else, right? It's the Christian's call that love is the higher law, that we break those laws in the sake of justice, right? Now, in our context, it's not so much that the law is compelling us, and that, if anything, the law is letting go. The laws make us do less and less, and in, instead, we have more and more freedom. And, uh, but the question is, what, um, what do we do when now that the laws don't protect us good, right, religious people? Right, a couple weeks ago in Arizona, there was this huge debate, right? There was these guys, they wanted to, these two gay guys, they wanted to get married, and they went to go buy a cake, and they said, sorry, we're not going to make a cake for you. And uh, that didn't even happen in Arizona, but the people of Arizona said, man, we need to make a law. We have to protect our religious freedoms, because if not, who knows what's going to happen? And what's interesting, if you think of the laws of the land, and then you think of the laws of love, well, where does a situation like this come in? And what's interesting is I have very good, deep, mature Christian sisters and brothers who are on both sides of this of this argument. There's those who say the law of love, really, the way that we as Christians are going to love our gay and lesbian neighbors is by shutting them down and by making, ostracizing them and, you know, pushing against them. And that's the hill we're going to die on. And we're going to try to make laws and picket and protest about that. And they think, well, that's, we need to love them and we're going to let the chips fall where they may. And there's another side of my Christian friends who are like, no, we're the law of love. And we, this is, goes against my conscience. How can I do something that I feel like God has put on my heart that, that I think is wrong and I cannot do it? What am I supposed to do? And like always, we're supposed to follow our conscience wherever we land, right? But the deal is the government isn't always going to be with our conscience. So sometimes our conscience is going to cost us like it did in Dietrich Bonhoeffer, like it did for these guys in their, in their cake shop. And it might be for us in our church and our tax exempt status one day right? It is this challenging and difficult thing. And we think, what are the laws that we are supposed to put into practice? There's this rubric that's really challenging. What are the laws of the land? What is the law of love? And then lastly, what are the laws is, is, is I think, really more challenging because we think of laws as kind of these boundaries against sin. And we want to know what's right and what's wrong. And that's kind of what laws do. And all throughout scripture, there's these sin lists. And in Romans 13, there's one as well. Romans 13 says this, the night is nearly over and the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently in the daytime and not in carousing or drunkenness, not in sexual morality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. And we think about what's right and what's wrong. What, what do we put into practice Right? All throughout Scripture, there are these lists, there's these sins, there's these things that we don't do. Right? What is debauchery? What is sexual morality? What is jealousy? They're all these huge gray issues, right? Because they're, they're not really defined. Culture kind of defines them, and culture changes, and it changes those definitions. And so we're kind of left in this gray area. But the bottom line, Jesus says, but at the end of the day, what do they say? Rather, clothe yourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify your desires of the flesh, but instead how to serve Jesus. That's the end of the day. That's what we do. How do we put our faith into practice? What, do we, what is right and what is wrong? What are the laws of the land? What is the law of love? And ultimately, what we don't do things to gratify our own, gratify our own flesh. And you think, well, what does those mean? What does that mean in dark times, like in the darkness? And think of it this way. And 
Thankfully, most of us went to college before this time, but our poor high school kids and college kids, it's not this case. You could go on, uh, on a weekend in college and go crazy and go, oh, that was just this weekend when I was in college, or that was this one spring break, kind of, you know, put it away. But now it's on YouTube, right? So now if whatever you did is on YouTube for the whole world to say, see, now you're like, okay, that was probably the wrong thing. If what you did gets put on YouTube for the whole world to see, that's kind of a good indicator of what you're doing is right, is right or wrong. So that's what we think about. What do we put into practice? Laws of the land... Do you know uh, that we love our neighbor and we don't break any of those sin lists in Scripture? Now, where it gets challenging is what do we do when our culture and our understanding of Scripture clashes, right? Because our culture says certain things are sin. All of us in this room would have different definitions of what's a sin and what's not a sin and what we should do and what we shouldn't do. So what do we do when culture says one thing and our understanding of Scripture says something different? Here's where it's going to get a little dicey. Are you ready? And just so you know, if you want to know where we're going, this is the part where you're going to judge me, and then the next part is where I'm going to judge you. So that's, you just feel free to judge me, and then I'll turn the, t- the tables on you in a little bit, okay? That's how you know where we're going. So here we go. In Romans chapter 14, verse 1 and 2, and says this, Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One's person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Sorry, Lauren. Sad, right? So the other night... Kay and I went out to dinner and I ordered a steak. I love steak. And here's the deal. I didn't even care if it was grain-fed or not. That's how, that's how, because I don't have those convictions yet. It was just steak. I ate steak and I loved it. It was great. I eat meat. Now, because I'm in Marin, I do feel a little uncomfortable because I have to ask, is it grain-fed? And what about my vegan friends? Are they going to judge me? But that's only here in Marin. For the most part, all over the world, you know, we eat steak and we go, oh, it's steak. It's so good. But here's what's so wild. Christians, for a time in history, couldn't just go eat steak. Because the deal is, Meat had to be butchered, right? And butchers were actually people who worked in the temples because every religion across the whole world basically had animal sacrifice. You'd kill animals, and then, those, then that meat, after it was sacrificed to the pagan gods and to gods, and even in Jewish times and to, to, to Yahweh, then that meat could then be sold into the marketplace. Well, if you were a Christian back in the biblical era, you would go to the marketplace and you would want to have a steak, but you were all messed up because this steak, was it sacrificed to an idol? Right? If, it was, if it was used as part of a worship to an idol or to a pagan god, all of a sudden it, you were participating in idol worship. And as a good Christian, you knew you're not supposed to participate in idol worship, right? And so you couldn't eat that meat because you were breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Like, that's a huge deal. But the deal is, in the, in the Jewish world, it was fine. Everyone agreed with what was right and what was wrong. But as Christians spread out into these pluralistic societies, they ended up in these places where not everyone agreed. Some people thought you could eat whatever you wanted. Some people, it really mattered. And so for Christians who became Christians, who were Greek and became Christians, were like, I don't care if that meat was sacrificed where it was. It's great meat, and it's a, it's a discount price, so I'm going to buy it. And the Jewish Christians were like, no, what is that going to do? Right? And, what is, and Paul says... Except those whose faith is weak, without quarreling on disputable matters. He says that meat sacrificed to idols is a disputable matter. If you were a Jewish Christian at the time, you would not think that's a disputable matter. That is about as black and white as it gets. And Jesus, I mean, Paul says, hey, let's not argue, argue over disputable matters. Right? So the deal is we have to ask this question, what are the absolutes and the non-essentials? And the problem is for most of us in neutral, we're not really that reflective. And so we just think whatever culture says is fine. Or whatever the church has said forever is fine. And it takes hard work to challenge them to go, what are the absolutes and what are the non-essentials? Now, we think about culture and how it's changing and what are the non-essentials. I have great news for those of us who live in Marin County. And that is 
all things are permissible. How good is that, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul again addresses this idea of food sacrifice to idols. And he says, all things are permissible. You can do whatever you want. All things are permissible. He doesn't even do a qualification. Okay, maybe he does one qualification. He says, all things are right to do, oh, but not everything's beneficial. So you can do all things, but maybe not all things are beneficial. That's his qualification. And we as Christians, we're individuals, we're free in Christ. We go, we can do whatever we want. And we fully live into it. And what's interesting is you think about how culture has changed so dramatically. Uh, some of the old guys, there's an old guy in our church named Co. He's super old and loves Jesus. And he is like part of prayer meetings. And like, he's like the man at our church. Well, for 40 years or 50 years, I don't even know because he's really old. But since, ever since he was a young guy, he would go and get a, a bunch of guys. And they would go to this coffee shop or to someone's house. And they would sit at like five in the morning because they had these jobs. That they actually had to work at their work. Remember those kind of jobs? And they had to go and do those jobs. And they would sit and have Bible study and prayer and they would work out their faith. And they've done it for 40 years, and that's what they do. Well, me and my buddies, this is, this is how we do our Bible study, right? Matt Ward goes, hey, let's come to my house. We're going to play poker and drink beer and talk about life and talk about our marriage and talk about the church. And that's what we do. We sit around and we play cards and we'll have some beer and we talk about life and we laugh and we talk about ministry and the church and marriage and our kids. And we have Bible study doesn't look like how Co does Bible study, but it looks like how we do Bible study. And I'm sure Co and his people would be like, what? Like back in those days, if you even played like Pinochle, you were going to hell, you know? And here we are gambling with beer, you know? And it's like, what's essential and what's not essential? Because culture has changed so much, right? That, that drinking beer and playing poker is like mainstream. It doesn't doesn't chafe against people my age like it does the older people, right? And so it's changed. Um, and so we have to be aware of that. Another thing that I think is interesting is this idea of modesty, right? Think about this. There was a time when, 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 when marshals would go out to the beach and they would measure. They would make sure that, that your bikini went, you know, just far enough or wasn't quite far enough because if, if it was too immodest, you know, your kneecap is okay. Well, there's a time when your kneecap was not okay, but apparently this in the 20s, it was totally okay. And what's funny, so for me, I'm part of the old school and I did ministry a long time ago. And so for us, like a one-piece bathing suit, that is the noble version. If you wear a one-piece bathing suit, you are now noble and you are modest. I mean, please, it's still a bathing suit for crying out loud, right? I mean, and the deal is, I think a one-piece bathing suit is modest. All of my youth kids are like, no one wears one-piece bathing suits. They hate it. In fact, they all have to go out and buy a special youth group bathing suit because it's the, they don't wear it anywhere in their life but at youth group because I'm saying this is what's good and right and mo. Wait, because they should wear them or they shouldn't? I don't know. But hey, I've come a long way. I said you guys could do takinis. Like, I'm, 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 like, I'm, I'm like on the edge here, okay? And what's interesting is like, but you ask any of, any, any of my youth pastor friends in L.A. and they're like, Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? Maybe, maybe a thong, maybe topless, that might be pushing it. Everything else is totally fine for them in LA because their whole life is on the beach, right? All my friends in Wisconsin are like, no, we don't even put on bathing suits, you know, only parkas, and, uh, and that's it. Um, when I think about this, when I was in college, I, my, favorite, my favorite artist was Alanis Morissette. Um, now here's the deal. In college, I was really trying to love Jesus. I loved Jesus so much. I had this old school discipler, and he's like, oh, that Jagged Little Pill, that's a really bad album. I'm like, it is? He's like, yeah, listen to it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to listen to it. And you're right. I mean, she has this song, my favorite song. It's a song about this, like, awful breakup. Her, her boyfriend cheats on her, and she's, like, dropping the F word, and she's it's all graphic and so violent. And it's like, it's like an early 90s woman rage. I mean, it's, it's a great demographic of music. But because I love Jesus, and my, my disciple's like, this doesn't honor God. I'm like, oh, my goodness, you're right. So I threw it away. Actually, I didn't throw it away. I sold it back because that's what you could do. You could say these and remember those days and sell them back. 
But then like a couple months went by and she came and did a concert in our town. I'm like, oh, I love her. I went and bought the album again. But then I felt convicted and I sold it again. And I bought it and sold it probably four different times. But here's the saddest thing. What I thought was edgy and pushing the envelope and was totally amoral is now like elevator music, like at Nordstrom's. Have you done that? You go to Nordstrom's and you're like, oh, this was like rebellious music. And like now it's Muzak. And the truth is now as I'm an old person, I listen to these guys' music. I'm like, oh, that's awful. There's nothing redemptive about Robin Thicke. You know, that guy's the worst. I hate him. And they're like, what? It's just music. We like to dance to it or whatever. Actually, you guys have, are good, smart people. They hate him too. And so it's all okay. <laughs> or I think about, I want to be culturally aware and I, and I want to, right? Because I'm so free. I want to do all this stuff. And so the deal is up to my own uh, devices, I'm only going to see the expendables, you know, only dumb action flicks because I'm totally not culturally cool. So what I do is my wife and I, we go and see the Oscar-nominated ones. So we feel like we're so culturally astute. Well, The Wolf of Wall Street came out on Christmas Day. And uh, we're like, oh, this is going to be one of those movies. It's going to get all those awards. And so let's go on Christmas Day. We're going to go see The Wolf of Wall Street. We love Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, ever since the Titanic, is like, oh, you know, we love him. And uh, so we go to see The Wolf of Wall Street. And uh, if you've seen it, um, don't, don't embarrass yourself. And if you haven't seen it, you've read the reviews. I mean, wow. That's all I'm going to say. Right? And what's wild is, as a man, as a total fleshly man, if I saw that by myself in the dark, I'd be like, this is the best movie of all time. But I didn't see it by myself in the dark. I saw it with my wife on a date night. And all of a sudden, this thing that I was so free to do, I can do whatever I want. I'm so free. Right? I'm free in all things. I want to be culturally aware I'm going to see The Wolf of Wall Street. Now I'm sitting next to my wife, who has way more convictions than I am, who's holy and pure. And I'm watching her squirm and like really? We're watching this right now? And I'm like, we're trying to be culturally aware, you know? And she's like going down because the deal is my freedom by myself in the dark, even though it's probably mostly to satisfy my sin, but even if it's free because I just want to be culturally aware, all of a sudden I'm messing with my wife, right? I'm messing with her heart. And the deal is that culture is changing so quickly that what we all used to think was right and wrong, for some people are going to not even be a big deal at all. For other people, it's going to be a huge deal. Uh, some of my youth pastor friends are totally dealing with this right now, and we're going to deal with it in the next two years when, legal, when pot becomes legal, right? Pot is going to be fully legal. It's going to be fully normative. And unfortunately, for like four generations, everyone just said, follow the laws of the land, and you'll be a good person. Well, now the laws are going to be like, it's legal. And now we're going to be like, oh, I guess we smoke pot now, right? Is that what the church is going to do? Is that how we're going to use our freedom? If we're going to be good-thinking, smart people, we have to realize what are we free to do? What does culture say? And how is this working? We can't just go, oh, the, the government says pot's okay, so now we can smoke pot, right? It goes within this rubric. And part of that rubric is that what are the essentials? What are the absolutes? What are the non-essentials? Part of that rubric is that we're free. We are free in all things, which is so good news. But the bad news is this, that, we are, um, that we, as Christians, our call is to community. We don't just get to be free. If we are just free by ourselves, that's one thing, but that's not Christianity. Christianity is that we live life in community. So all of our freedom has to be tempered with this idea that we're in community. In Romans chapter 14, uh, verse 14, it says this. I am convinced that being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus... Oh, sorry. Verse uh, 19 says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. For the sake of food, for the sake of a beer, for the sake of a movie, for the sake of Alanis Morissette, for the sake of whatever your thing is, these are all mine, like I said, you have your own things, but whatever for the sake of, do not destroy unity, do not destroy the body of Christ, do not destroy what God has for us. And the deal is that your view of freedom, your view of 
marijuana, your view of alcohol, your view of sexuality, your view of all those things. You may be the most mature and cutting-edge person on the planet, and God bless you for that. And someday in the future, it might look different. The problem is that we're in community right here, right now, in 2014, with old people like Ko and young people like Tristan and everybody in between, trying to work this thing out. Right? So for the sake of food, we don't chuck our Christian unity. And what's interesting is culture does inform the church, and I think in a good way. For all time, women were nothing. They were quiet to be listened, you know, to make us good food and prepare lunches for the men who did the noble work, right? But for the work of culture, help the church realize that women have a voice and have a place at the table and should be able to preach from the pulpit and should be pastors and in ministry are capable to do that. It took culture to help inform the church to do that. And the church, our church says, yeah, women should do that and should be okay with that. And, and there's some Christian communities that say no, but our Christian community says yes. So if you're like, oh, women should just be quiet all the time, this isn't going to be a good place for you, but there will be a good other church somewhere that is for you. So in community, we find where we live and we move and we breathe, and that's what we do. What's interesting and I think challenging about Marin Covenant Church is that we are the most free church that I've ever been in my entire life the most free. Like, it's kind of scary. Like, Art and Jeff aren't here. When Art's sitting in the front row, I'm like, okay, I know how far to go in my sermons, right? I, I can see from Art's face, like, oh, I'm getting too close. Art's not here. I'm free. I can go whatever I want, but the reality is I know he's going to listen to this thing. I'm going to have to deal with this maybe on Tuesday now instead of right away. And so I don't just take my freedom and I go crazy. I temper my freedom for the sake of community, right? And so that is what we're called to do, that we that uh, if you imagine this with a, with a man who's like walking with her kid, I love running, I love hiking, I love going backpacking. If I want to take my kids backpacking, I don't just go, let's go and we'll go backpacking. We get 20, 20 miles under our belt. My kids would die like in, in half a mile, right? I temper myself. I give up some of my freedom. Some of the things I want to do, I temper those so I can walk at the right pace of my kid. My kid can only run for a mile. Well, I want to run seven miles. No, well, then I'll gladly run one mile so I can run with my kid, Right? My daughter wants to ride her bike, I will gladly ride just up and down my street with my daughter, right? Because I'm mature and I'm old, but I temper my maturity and my freedom for the sake of those who are weaker. Does that make sense? And as the Christian community, we think of all the freedoms, all the things that we're free to do, all that we can do that culture says is okay and we may not even care about, we're free to do all things. We're tempered by those we walk with. And we have to understand that there's people in this room who walk at a different pace. And this is the community that we are bound to, and we have to walk at their pace. And the very last thing um, in verse uh, 17 says this, It is because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives uh, human approval. And the very last thing, the last part of this template, is that our lifestyle is for the glory of Jesus. We don't use our freedom to just do whatever we want to be cool and hip and push the envelope. Our freedom is for the sake of the gospel. Our freedom is to not be slaves to sin, to not be so nitpicky, to not be so judgmental to everyone around us because they're not where we are. Our freedom is to serve Jesus fully how we are made. And the way that God served me, I mean, the way that God made me is going to be different than the way God made you. The things that are offensive and sinful to me may be the things that are not offensive and sinful for you. But in community, we temper that. So I want to just finish with three things, which I think are... Um, are good news and, of course, bad news, like all things in Scripture. I want to, in verse 15, half of verse 1 says this, We who are strong, I've yet to meet the Christian who's like, no, I'm the weaker brother. 
All of us think we're the, we're the stronger brother. All of us think we're the stronger sister. It's like, a, I can smoke a cigar. I'm the stronger brother. The, the, the more fundy Christian's like, you can't smoke a cigar. That's against the law. I'm the stronger brother, right? You can wear a bikini. I can't wear a bikini. Every side thinks they're the strong one, which is so funny because we're so prideful, right? But we just need to own this reality that we are strong. We all own that. That's because of our selfishness, because of our pride, because of whatever. We are strong. And because we are strong, we are free. We are totally free to do whatever we want. How cool is that? Now, we always ask the question, the students love this question, well, how far is too far? Like, you know, I'm dating this girl, like, how far is too too far? We love that. We love the, the lines, but the lines cause us to be judgmental and hypocritical and jerks to each other. So Jesus says, actually, there's no line. So worst line, it's, are you honoring Jesus? Oh, man, that thinks you're about to make out with your girlfriend. Am I honoring Jesus? That's way, that's not as fun as, well, the Bible says I can make out, but I can't go over the shirt or under the shirt. Or, you know, all those different markers. That's, that's way less fun. Am I honoring Jesus? But the deal is we are free, and we need to own that we are free. But it goes on to say this, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbor for their good, to build them up, for even Christ did not uh, please himself. Now, for 99% of us who agree that we are the strong one and we look down at those around us who aren't as enlightened as us or aren't as religious as us or aren't as convicted as us, for those of us who would call ourselves mature, here's the awful kicker. It is our obligation as fellow sisters and brothers in Christ to temper our freedom for the sake of the body of Christ. If you hold the mantle that you are enlightened and mature and free, which I hope you are because we get that in Christ, as a community, as the body of Christ, we temper that for the sake of our sisters and brothers. So your views on alcohol and sexuality and pot and modesty and politics and whatever your thing is, and you have your your convictions have landed on what's okay and what's not okay, for the sake of community, are you willing to temper some of those things for the sake of Christian unity. And the last part, I think, is an incredible challenge. Oh, sorry, there's another part of that. For the 1% of you, for the 1% of you who, I, who wouldn't say, okay, I'm not strong, maybe I am immature, are you willing to temper your freedom? Because how cool, we're free. We're free to be rebels in our sin or we're free to just to be free in Christ. Are you who would maybe say, yeah, maybe I'm not mature in Christ. Maybe I'm just immature and I am just wild and free. For those of you who would say that you're immature, are you willing to temper your freedom just for the sake of your soul? Are you willing to say no to certain things to see what God might have for you in this season or the next? And those, I think, are two awful, challenging things. At least for me, all week I wrestled with those two things. As mature people, are we willing to give our freedom away for the sake of our sisters and brothers? Or are we willing to be open to what we think is freedom, but really it's just sin and to be temperance with that? So the last thing is this. I have a couple of questions for us that I'm going to go through slowly because I just want you to think about them. But are you willing to sacrifice your freedom to live into your maturity, I mean, for the sake of unity? And here's some questions. And if you would just humor me and just close your eyes so I can just read each sentence and you can just be quiet and you can think about each of these questions. Are you abusing your freedom? Are you using your freedom to glorify God? Does your freedom crush people? 
Does your freedom hinder unity? Does your freedom serve and care for the weaker sister and brother? Are you mature and in need of temperance for the sake of this body? Or are you immature and maybe in need of temperance for the sake of your soul? What is a sin? May what's an area in your life that you may need to surrender to Jesus for either the sake of this body or for the sake of your soul? I'm just going to give you about 30 seconds to a minute to think about that, and I'll pray for us. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, I thank you that you are so generous to us. You have such latitude for us as we sin in our rebellion and we just go wild or we're just not reflective or we're super reflective and we're totally free and we enjoy our freedom. But God, I pray that you would give us a larger call, not just as individual Christians, but as people who belong to one another, to fellow sisters and brothers in the body of Christ. And may we not hold on to our rights, but may we give up our rights for the sake of unity, for your honor and for your glory. Amen and amen. Would you stand for this blessing? This blessing is just going to be right out of Romans chapter 15, and it says this. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and with one voice you may glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, both now and now and forevermore. Amen and amen. God bless you.